STEM Global Competitiveness Conference presents High Tech Sunday. On today's episode of High Tech Sunday, our hosts, Dr. Mark Vaughn and Lango Dean, sit down with founder and CEO of Crown Therapy, Dr. Tiffany Anderson. Up first is Corning Incorporated's Manager of Technical Talent Pipelining, Dr. Mark Vaughn. Next is Career Communication Group's Senior Technology Editor, Lango Dean. Finally, our esteemed guest, Dr. Tiffany Anderson. Dr. Anderson is a proud black psychotherapist based in Baltimore, Maryland, who specializes in individuals, couples, and family therapy. Dr. Anderson created Crown Therapy to cultivate a light-filled community that supports mental health and spiritual growth. Her practice dismantles generational traumas, fosters spiritual awareness, empowers one's self-identity, interrupts pathological patterns, ignites intimate connections and family relationships. Without further delay, High Tech Sunday, featuring Dr. Mark Vaughn and Lango Dean. Well, thanks so much for that introduction, Brandon. It's such a great pleasure to have the opportunity to join today's conversation with Dr. Tiffany Anderson. How are you, Dr. Anderson? I'm doing well. Uh, thank you all, you know, just for having me. And although it's kind of early morning, I feel like I've had a busy morning already. So this kind of gives me an opportunity to kind of sit back, relax and um, just kind of be present with you all today. So thank you again for having me. Awesome. Well, I've got to tell you that I've had the, the great pleasure of working with this team on these podcasts for High Tech Sunday since June. And there's been such a myriad of outstanding topics that we've had the opportunity to discuss with esteemed individuals, colleagues, and leaders from all walks, all sectors of life, especially as they touch on science, technology, engineering, and math, and high tech. And I've got to tell you that the topic of today's conversation absolutely, in my opinion, undergirds the opportunity for us to do high tech and anything else consistently and intentionally, and that is mental health. We've been hit with a one, two, three, four punch or more for the entirety of this decade, pretty much. When you think about the pandemic that has gripped the world, the economic challenges, the racial unrest, the issues with politics, all of that has certainly become a mental health concern. And so it's giving rise to another crisis. So this is such a timely and important conversation. And I want to dig into all of that. But before we do, we want to get to know you a little bit better. So I'm going to start with a fun, but maybe a little bit of a tough question. Can you kind of tell us who is Dr. Tiffany Anderson and how did you get your start in this really interesting field? That is, um, you're right, it is a big question. Um, who is Dr. Anderson? Well, I'm gonna first take off doctor. Um, and, and it's really just who, who is Tiffany? Um, because I find that 
certain labels begin to define who we are and you know feeling as if we have to kind of live up to this certain label right um so when you put doctor in front of it it it, it kind of takes away um my experience prior to becoming a doctor um and again that's not what you're doing right but that's when you put that doctor in front um i notice that things begin to shift as if you as if I feel as if I have to take on a, a new identity, if you will. Um, so to really kind of identify who Tiffany is, um, it really starts with coming from, you know, a family, um, a large family. There is six of us, um, six kids. Um, I am the fourth child of the six children. And, you know, I just, I grew up um, in this kind of communal and loving home. Um, with that, there were um, dysfunction. There, there was, you know, love. There was laughter. Um, there was growth. Um, but you know, if I can begin to kind of um, summarize, you know, who I am. I am a person that um, loves loves people. I'm an individual that um, genuinely cares for um, the, the outcome of individuals' lives. Um, I'm that person that wants to help any way I can. Um, and so what I find is that in almost any environment, I'm the person that even at parties is in the corner talking to an individual, kind of helping them with their lives in one way or the other, right? Um, uh, but I grew up seeing that from my grandmother, from my mother, from my father, from my siblings, seeing um, what it looked like to just truly love individuals um, and helping each other. And so I just come from a place um, of community. I come from a place of love. Um, and that has just kind of shaped uh, my trajectory and in going into mental health um, and wanting to really just help individuals overall and wanting to see their growth. Um, and so, yeah, that kind of um, begins to shape who I am. And I know we'll dig a bit deeper, but just to kind of summarize it, I am just a person that uh, loves to see the growth in others. Thanks so much for setting that context. And when you uh, were speaking about your family experience and this whole idea of community, certainly uh, the importance of that rings so true for us today. And so you, you began to say that out of that interest in um, helping people came this passion that has informed your trajectory what would you say your passion really is as a, a psychotherapist? What is it that drives you? Because it certainly would appear that it's not definitely a cakewalk to do what you do. Yeah, no, you're, yeah, you're right. It is, it's not a cakewalk. Um, my trajectory to get to this place was not a cakewalk either. Um, but that passion uh, that you asked is really um, wanting to help individuals, specifically black individuals, um, 
kind of experience this spiritual, psychological, emotional, um, and kind of physical freedom, right? Um, and so my place in that is really helping um, the folks that come to see me really kind of dig in deep and explore who they are, um, what they want to become, how they want to live their life in their true authenticity and their true um, freedom, right? Because as individuals, we're, we're all, we all have our own issues, right? Um, we all have our own traumas. We're all fighting a silent battle. And so when folks come to me um, for therapy, we put those battles on the forefront, right? We speak truth to that, we make meaning of it, and then we say, okay, what do we wanna do moving forward? How can we make this work for us? Because although I'm a therapist, I too have those traumas, right? I too have experienced those struggles. And so I have had to do the same processing that my clients are doing today. And so that's how I help, right? That's a part of the passion and a part of the connection is that they're not alone and that I am doing the work that they're doing either currently or have done it, um, and that we're working together to get through it. So that's the passion when I see folks walk in and I'm like, oh, so what can I help? Like, how can I help? What can I help you, you know, work on? How can I inspire you? How can I encourage you? Because it really goes back to me wanting to be the person that I didn't have growing up, um, and that, you know, and that was that person. And it's not that I didn't have, you know, encouraging individuals because I did, um, but not in the therapy context, right? Not sitting across and it just being about you. Like I said, I come from a family of six. It's not just about me, right? And so when you come to therapy, you get your time to just be you, right? To just focus on the areas that you want to grow in. Um, and just explore who you are and like tap into that internal awareness and that internal growth. And so that's where the, the honestly, that's just where my passion, like, even when I'm speaking about it, right? I'm passionate. Like this is what excites me about the work I do um, because I, I, I am in the process um, or in the midst of seeing individuals have epiphanies and um, make connections about their lives. Um, I also see them in times that aren't so good and that and it comes with the work. Um, but but, you know, there there has always been a time where even where there's darkness, that we find some sort of light in the midst of a session, in the midst of a conversation. Um, and so that's that's the drive. That is that is a passion for me. So the headline that I took away from uh, that statement were those four incredibly important words, you are not alone. And I'm sure that that's got to be incredibly grounding and comforting as people begin their work with you. And then you talked about making connection. I want to jump into kind of, I guess, a mental health 101 uh, for a few minutes, but I do want to ask one more who is Tiffany question really quickly. You touched on spirituality a few times. Can you speak to us about how spirituality has played a role in your life to this point and even now? Um, absolutely. Um, ooh, where do I begin? So spirituality, 
has played a major factor in my life. Um, I come from a family that is very spiritually inclined and connected. So um, I was born with that gift in the sense of feeling energies around me, right? And being able to connect with individual individuals effortlessly, um, tapping into my own sense of spirituality, like basically, where, what are you feeling, right? Again, that is a sense of spirituality when you are that self-aware that you know when something is off. What are you feeling? What do you need? Um, and who do you need to talk to? Um, and how <laughs> and what do you need from the divine in this moment, right? And so that is what really kind of helps with like the prayer life. But spirituality, to be honest with you, was something that I've always had. Um, it, and it's always been a deep connection to the divine and everyone and everything around me. And so how it has helped and guided me is really being able to tap in with the divine and with myself during difficult moments, lifting myself, you know, out of despair um, and sadness, um, knowing when to ask for help knowing when to bring in my father who has the best, you know, words of advice and um, knowing when to bring in my mother who knows how to get you back on your feet and get you moving, right? And so I always knew who to tap in <laughs> to according to what I needed. And then when it was outside of them is when I would tap into the divine and through prayer and say, okay, what do I need? How can I get through this? Um, how can I honestly just kind of strengthen myself enough to do it even when I'm scared, which I do every day. <laughs> and so um, my spirituality overall has just played a role in, um, you know, allowing me to tap into my internal strengths in places of darkness and um, when I need to lift myself up and continue the journey. Very cool and very relatable. Thank you so much for sharing that testimony uh, about uh, how it is that that evolution has continued to inform even your passions today. So let's just jump into what we are here really to explore with you, and that is the importance of mental health. We all can relate in some way to the fact that in general, but especially in communities of color, this is a topic that folks tend to find difficult to embrace and actually benefit from. So let's just start with the basics. Why is it important to pay attention to this idea of mental health, especially in these trying times that we are living in, these unprecedented historical times? Why is this such an important topic? Um, it's, it's so important because mental health really drives the way we think, um, we feel, and we act in the face of life's situations, right? So our mental health affects how we handle stress, um, how we relate to one another and make decisions. Um, it influences the way we look at ourselves, um, and you know, just our overall kind of life circumstances. And so there's really no way to get away from um, one's mental health, right? And so with that, we have to, you know, really 
take it seriously because it is something that if it is not managed well, it can really shift our lives. It can cause distortions in our thinking. It can um, really interrupt intimate and platonic relationships. It is, we use our mental health every day to make decisions. If that is distorted in any way, if our lens is rooted in our um, uh, wounds, it can really shift the way we make decisions. It can shift the way we feel and connect with others emotionally. Um, and so that is why, you know, mental health is so important. And it is something that um, I think should be talked about more because it is the roadmap of our lives, to be honest. So when you think about, you, you just said something very important. You said, this needs to be talked about more. So let's just really try to hone in on the realities. There's um, a stigma, if you will, that people often have with the idea of counseling. Uh, and this, like I said, can be especially true of people in communities of color. So what gives rise to this stigma? And what do you think are some possible solutions to begin to break down those walls? Yeah. Um, well, the stigma, you know, there's a, quite a few. Um, the one we see the most often in the Black community is um, surrounded around, you know, mental health and um, the health, you know, field as a whole not being safe for Black and Brown individuals. Um, historically, it has not always been safe. Um, and so that stigma is rooted in truth, and we recognize that. So I do want to normalize that there is a reason for that stigma. Um, however, with that stigma, it obviously has prevented folks from seeking the help that they need. And so the concern is how do we get individuals, specifically those in you know, uh, subjugated communities, to really get the support that they need. And so what I have found in my experience is that um, individuals are looking for therapists and you know, mental health professionals that look like them that share, you know, similar cultural and lived experiences. And so with that, we are seeing a, a rise in black and brown individuals coming to therapy, but requesting that their therapist um, is of color, right? And so many of my phone calls are, um, they either, you know, see me on the website or, and they may confirm, <laughs> are you African-American? You look it, but I'm not sure, right? They may confirm. Um, and then I let them know, of course, you know, yes, I am. Um, how can I help you? Right? So some of their questions and we go um, back to what you're saying in regards to, you know, some benefits, some of those questions could be, and has been for me, how do you feel um, about racial injustice? or what is your stance, or how have you helped other African-American individuals if they're dealing with racial injustice? Um, and so those are great questions to ask therapists to know their stance, right? Um, and so um, going back to the stigma, it is there um, and it is present. 
Um, however, there is a rise um, of individuals of color seeking out therapy, um, particularly those that look like them. So how do we begin to kind of break that down is to have more therapists of color, right? Um, absolutely, to have more therapists that, you know, have a range of experiences um, outside of the dominant culture. And so that is one of those things, you know, one of those barriers to begin to break it down is to encourage more folks outside of the dominant culture to look into uh, mental health practices and, you know, studies and education. That's such a critically important connection that you just drew. And and thank, thank you for uh, the approach. You said that uh, I acknowledge that the stigma is actually born legitimately, but we can work to tear down those barriers. And it's really encouraging to hear you say that the numbers of black and brown people is increasing uh, in terms of those who are seeking mental health services and support. So let's stay on that uh, line just a little bit. When you talk about being connected, uh, I read uh, the title of your dissertation with great interest. But when you think about the lived experience of African-American women concerning the intersection of God image and racial inequality, that is so powerful. So you had to have drawn from that experience some key learnings for yourself. Can you tell us what the experience of writing and researching that dissertation was? And what were some of the key learnings from that project for you? Yes. Thank you for your interest. This was a project that um, is still dear to my heart and an experience that I will never ever forget for sure. Um, so where do I begin? So hmm, I'll start with um, the, wonder, the wonderful participants. Um, I interviewed seven um, African-American women um, and spoke to them about their religious and spiritual experiences along with experiences of racial inequality, right? And I wanted to understand the intersection of uh, religious and spiritual experiences and racial inequality. And, and I know it sounds and feels as if it is two separate things. And so I wanted to know, for Black women, is it separate? Right? Is it separate? Because what we know in the research is that African-American women are the most religious individuals, period. <laughs> they are the most, in the United States, the most religious, right? That means they attend the highest number of, you know, religious services. They report the highest uh, number of, you know, prayers a day and certain things, right? So I wanted to know from Black women that have the highest level of spirituality um, and while experiencing racial inequality, how are we connecting those two? Um, and so I wanna know that while I'm doing this work, I am also being triggered in every way possible because I am a black woman who is spiritual and experiences 
racial inequality. Right. So this project was healing in so many ways by gathering their experiences about how they emotionally connected to the divine. Um, some spoke about, you know, through prayer, um, through nature, uh, through family and friends, through connections. Um, and then they spoke about their experiences with racial, you know, injustice. And, you know, of course those varied from academic settings, um, from just simply going to the store, walking down the street. Um, they shared, you know, specific stories and narratives around it. And then we talked about, is there a connection between the two? Um, and what we found for these particular um, participants, that it was, that they utilized their spirituality and religion um, as a way to cope with racial injustice. Um, with racial injustice. And it was their way of kind of emboldening themselves to push through it. Um, and it wasn't simply based on resilience, which we see in a lot of the research that African-Americans are very resilient and we are, uh, but this was more of an intentional act that I would not allow racial inequality to break me down um, and that I would utilize uh, the love that I have for myself and the love that I feel from the divine to continue to push me forward. And so that in itself, again, was healing for me because we're living very similar lives, very similar lives. And so I was able to put this in a very, you know, detailed dissertation um, and get that information out to the world. And um, it is a project that I am very proud of. Sounds like you have great reason to be. Congratulations on that. So uh, before I turn it over to my co-host, Lango Dean, who's going to drill down a little bit more, I think, on some of what you touched on regarding the pipeline of therapists of color, you mentioned that there has been an increase um, in the numbers of people who are seeking support. We have been, uh, for a good portion of this year, in lockdown, working from home, stay-at-home orders. So how has all of that impacted your industry? How do you connect with folks and really make those uh, partnerships when in many cases it's in 2D now and not face-to-face? -face? Yeah, good question. Um, so telehealth, is now our new normal, right? Zoom is now our new normal. And so in regards to therapy, we have transitioned from in-person to telehealth, which is a video chat, if you will, um, where you know, you're connecting over the internet and administering therapy. Um, what I have found for me personally, has been um, a positive experience. It hasn't felt as if it's been too much of a transition, but I do recognize that um, the clients I, I uh, have um, been working with are clients that I've had for a year or so, right? So many of them um, already have a connection or rapport with me. So doing it online wasn't a huge transition. So I was more concerned about those that were new 
And so since the pandemic happened, I actually took on about five or six additional um, clients that have never met me in person. <laughs> and that is very new for me. And um, I was a bit nervous, but you know, we are resilient people. And you know, it, it, there, it is, you know, just the times we're in. So I haven't had any personal issues with connecting. Um, and when I mean connecting, I mean like emotionally connecting with my clients online. There may be some technical <laughs> connections sometimes, right? But uh, emotionally connecting uh, via telehealth has not been an, an issue. Um, but, you know, it is, it's different knowing that I haven't met some of my clients in person, but it doesn't feel as if I haven't met them in person. So, um, you know, we're just transitioning with the times and, you know, just kind of making it work. I'm glad to hear that because I would imagine that in addition to how you've gone about the transition, it opens up potentially the opportunity for you to connect with people beyond uh, the regional constraints that you might otherwise find when people have to travel in to actually uh, come to the office. So that's a huge opportunity right there. I have lots of other practical questions about, okay, how do I pick a therapist and, and related questions? But I'm going to hand things off to my co-host, Langel Dean, to talk about career and pipeline. And then I'll be back to get some tips about, okay, how do we in practice actually benefit from making the connection with a therapist? Hey, Langel, how are you? You're listening to High Tech Sunday, featuring Dr. Mark Vaughn, Lango Dean, and our special guest, founder and CEO of Crown Therapy, Dr. Tiffany Anderson. This week's episode is brought to you by the Bay of STEM Global Competitiveness Conference. Now, back to the show. I'm good, Dr. Vaughn. How about you? I'm great. It's good to hear your voice. Good to hear from you, too. It's been a while. Well, welcome to the show, Dr. Anderson. Um, um, interesting conversation between you and Dr. Vaughn, and uh, really enjoyed the uh, you talking about how you got to where you are, and uh, talking about uh, the dissertation that you did uh, that project. And um, well, uh, you know, as I did my little background research, uh, I found out the two years ago. The APA did a study. Um, of course, this is the scientific and professional organization that represents psychologists in the United States. And they did a workforce study that showed, that looked really at how diverse uh, the psych psychology workforce is. And what they found was that 86% of psychologists in the United States were white, 5% were Asian, another 5% were Hispanic. 4% were black, and 1% were multiracial or from other ethnic groups. Now, this, this, these numbers show that this is less diverse than the U.S. population as a whole, which is 62% white and 38% racial or ethnic minority. And the health service psychology workforce is 88% white and 12% racial or ethnic minorities. 
and that includes the academic workforce, which is 81% white and 19% racial ethnic minorities. So against that background, I wonder, as a black woman in the field, there's so few professionals who look like you, what has your experience been? And what challenges have you had to face and, and, and how can it be overcome? Uh, thank you, Lango, for that question. Um, just to give you uh, some background, during my uh, PhD program, um, although there were a few um, black women and very few black men um, in my program, um, I did have um, the privilege of working with um, three other uh, black women throughout my entire PhD program. So that that assisted uh, tremendously with like, you know, feeling connected um, to the work that I was doing, feeling connected to the program. Um, and so it definitely helped get me through. Right. Um, these women um, have now also completed the program and um, they are considered my sisters today. And so I would be remiss if I didn't speak to that and to that experience because we leaned on each other so much because we weren't always represented. Right. Um, in our classes, in our textbooks, in the administration. Right. We were not represented. So we leaned on each other tremendously. And every day we would check in and text each other and motivate each other. And when one was like, I don't want to do this, I am over it. The other one would say me too, but we got to keep going. We're in this together. Um, and so that was a, a, a large part of my experience that helped me get through um, that particular program, which is a similar experience with my master's program. However, you are absolutely correct with there being very little representation um, of people of color. And my experience of that is feeling um, silenced, um, feeling overlooked, um, feeling as if, you know, certain administrators didn't have enough time to learn my name, right? Um, or getting Again, the three other black women that I'm speaking about confused, calling us different names, um, not having enough administrators that looked like us or studied or, you know, did studies that were similar to our interests. Right. So having to find and pick through. OK, so who is the most open right to what I'm interested in? It's not that it's their interest or their work or of any kind, but who is the most open to um, me studying black women. Yeah. So th th these are the type of experience that I had to go through and kind of navigate and maneuver through um, instead of just kind of feeling at home and kind of finding my place. Um, I felt um, a bit unstable all the time, all the time. And those black women were my anchors. They were my anchors the entire time. Uh, part of that experience is having professors, you know, stand in front of you and tell you about the black experience that they've never experienced. Um, and, you know, not being open to feedback that 
there's not enough books in the world that can teach you how it feels to be an African-American in, in this society, right? So trying to have those conversations, but oftentimes recognizing that you, you feel as if you can't. Um, and, you know, and that, you know, there's a, there's a power dynamic going on because this is your professor and they are in charge of your grades, right? They in they're in charge of feedback that you receive in the course. So these are things that we really have to think about in regards to the academic setting because um, this is trauma. This is considered trauma when you are having an internal, internal dialogue with yourself that has you kind of really questioning your own identity, your own sense of self, and you can't speak to the person causing it. That's a part of trauma. Um, and so that is a part of um, my experience, a part of others' experiences in the academic setting. Um, and so as a professor now, I am now in the position to speak to students uh, about whatever they need to speak about, right? And that I'm in the position to allow them to tell me if I have harmed them in any way to come to me and talk about that, right? Um, I'm also now in the position to extend grace if they need it, especially in a pandemic, especially in a pandemic. If there's an extension, you know, I commend them for reaching out and asking for help because I know I didn't always do that, right? So again, going back to what I said earlier, I'm just trying to be the person that I always wanted to have. That's wonderful. What I hear from all of that is that here you are, you're transmitting a different set of norms, different values and beliefs in your classroom within this discipline and creating a whole new, different kind of social environment. So, you know, I'm really encouraged by that. And, and, and so my question is, for young people who are interested in this field, I wish they, they could all have Professor Anderson now, what words of encouragement do you have for them? Another great question. My encouragement to them would be to continue to do what feels right for them, right? You know, there, what we hear is um, pick up a career that you can do for free, right? Um, follow your passions and your talents. And one thing about, you know, mental health is this is a difficult field like many other fields. So this is something that has to be true to you. You can't fake this. You can't force this, right? because you're connecting with real people in real time. And they feel when it's genuine, they feel when it's true. And so if this is something that you wanna do, um, something that you feel that you can really um, begin to kind of uh, help others transform, then go for it, but recognize your intention behind it. Why do you wanna do this work? What do you wanna get out of it? And also recognizing that it's not only, you know, difficult to help others, but it's going to force you to help yourself. And it's going to force you to do some hard work internally. So make sure that you're prepared and ready to do the hard work within yourself first. So you can be in a position to help others do the hard work within themselves. 
That's wonderful. My last question before I turn it back to Dr. Vaughn, and if you could take us through the steps really quickly. So here I am in high school. Um, I'll just give you an example. I was talking to a, a younger um, mentee of mine recently, and um, he's he been through a lot of root shock. What I mean by that is comes from a war environment and um, has experienced a whole set of displacements within the end urban environment he finds himself in as an immigrant. And, um, but it, it all goes back to that displacement, that fundamental displacement from the war. But, but he still wants to be a psychologist. So imagine talking to that high school person, what is the educational path to becoming a therapist like you? Um, does he have to get a PhD? What are the benefits of having a PhD versus not? So with um, his trajectory, he would obviously graduate high school and then he would um, obtain um, a bachelor's, right? Um, it could be in psychology, it could be in speech communications, it could be in other things, um, but you wanna have some type of foundation, right? Um, and so, for me, I uh, received a BA in psychology. So that allowed me to, again, it's just the framework. It's just kind of understanding the framework. The thing about therapy that I didn't know um, is that you need at least a master's to begin practicing. So it's not enough to get an, a BA if you want to practice. But I know folks that um, have gotten psychology degrees and do other things and go on to be great right and so they don't necessarily stick with psychology but with this individual who you know wants to become a psychologist definitely go to college get get a ba um, again if you want that foundation around psychology would be a start and then your masters or um you can go straight into kind of a psy d program for me again i did i, I did every track there was ba then got a, a master's. My master's is in marriage and family therapy. And so for, for him, he could, you know, get his master's in an area, um, in a specific area in psychology if he wants a, a specific niche. Um, or he could simply get a PsyD. Um, there are quite a few programs. I know Loyola University is one where you can come from um, straight from your bachelor's degree to get a PsyD, which is the psychologist track. For me, um, as a therapist, I did the PhD. I'm gonna be honest with you all. I did not know I was going to do that. I did not plan to get a PhD. <laughs> my plan was to get that master's. Remember, because you need the master's to practice. So in my mind, I just need a master's to practice. I will be fine. And once um, I got the master's, um, then you need a licensure. And so that consists of taking a test and that consists of um, having hours, like certain hours that you record um, after seeing a certain number of individuals or families or whomever, right? Um, so that's the trajectory where he could, no, he couldn't stop because he wants to be a psychologist. So he does need a side D. So moving forward, um, he would need that last that last degree. Psy D is the psychologist, so you were doing a lot of the assessments, 
with individuals and doing some talk therapy, but it's more, you know, more based on assessments. For me with a PhD, that really kind of centers you around uh, teaching. So becoming like a 10 year uh, professor of some sort being, um, you can do consultant work, you can do research, um, you can do private practice, you can do, so my motivation um, with getting the PhD was that there, there's more of a variety of things you can do. And you can tap in kind of those um, various opportunities. But I'm gonna be honest with you all, the biggest motivation for getting a PhD was I needed a reason for folks to listen and read the work that I was doing on the black community. And that's, I'm gonna be honest with you all because it's not enough for us to say it. It's not enough for us to cry and tell the world what's going on. Sometimes it needs to be placed in research and in articles and in dissertations. And so this was my way of giving back to my community that could last a lifetime. And so that was my drive for the PhD. That's wonderful. Thank you, Dr. Anderson. I can't wait to read your book. It's like, my one of my bibles you know I, I have the bible but one of my bibles my academic bible is the one by dr mindy fully you know her root shock right i just love her work so i'm looking forward to reading your work as well um i could go on but at this point i'm going to turn it back to dr vaughn and uh thank you so much it's been a fascinating discussion with you dr vaughn thanks a lot lango and uh for the remainder of our time, I want to kind of subject you, Dr. Anderson, to some rapid fire questions. And then I want to end maybe with a little fun. So here's my rapid fire. Uh, you've walked us through the process of the importance of mental health, why to pay attention to it, how people who are interested in the field might be able to actually get started on that journey. So now, can you tell us um, the why, the when, and the what? Why should I seek out a therapist? When do I know it's probably a good time for me to actually be thinking about doing so? And what tips can you give me for how to select the right one for me? Perfect. Okay, why? Why should I seek out a therapist? Um, if you want a place and an environment where you can be your authentic self, where you can really kind of dive into um, areas of your lives, that, of your life that you just want to begin to process and to understand, or you just want to work on your, you know, everyday um, trials and tribulations, is why you should seek out therapy. You don't necessarily have to be um, having a crisis to seek out therapy. You could seek out therapy anytime for any reason. So the why is really, why not? We all need a time and a place to talk to someone um, and a time that is dedicated to just you and about you that you don't have to share. So why not? Why not therapy? When? Um, when do I know? Um, something that I had to learn personally um, as an individual that is in therapy as well, is that you don't have to uh, be at your lowest to seek out therapy. Um, 
you, again, you don't have to be in, in crises to seek out therapy. So the when um, is simply when in need of support, in need of some advice, um, some love, uh, some encouragement. Um, so your win is just simply um, when you need support. And then how about any tips for how I pick the right therapist? Yes. Um, quick tip. One thing I always say about therapists is no different than you picking out a car. You want the best one for your money. And so you continue to call. Um, there's a lot of therapists um, that do like quick 30 minute uh, consultations. So you can call, talk to them, get the vibe, get the idea, ask those important questions that we were talking about earlier, right? Um, and then you, you say, okay, I'm gonna give you a call back. This is what I want and then continue to call. So um, you can pick about three to five different ones that you wanna interview and then you can select from there. So don't just assume um, do your research and make sure that this person um, is the right one for you. Most of us don't think about that very notion of interviewing the doctor. Yeah, and so I think that that's so important and so empowering. So thanks for that reminder. Uh, so let's have a little bit of fun for, for just a moment or two. Uh, and then I'm going to impose upon you to perhaps come out of your comfort zone just a little bit. Uh, so we've seen how you light up when you talk about your passion, when you talk about this work that you're doing, the drive that you have, and what informs it. So invariably, somebody is going to make a movie about Dr. Tiffany Anderson. Assuming that you can't play yourself, who would you want to play you in a film about your life and work? Um, this is good. Uh, okay, so I'm going to go with um, this person only because, you know, I don't think Beyonce will be up for it. So I'm going to go <laughs> for um, Marche Martin. Um, I think I'm saying her first name right from Blackish, but she's not even a little girl. She, I think she's like 15, 16 now. Um, I think she's phenomenal. Um, I think she's funny. I think she's quirky. I think she could really kind of tap into who I am as a person. And so I'm going to go with her. Um, and I know she'll do a great job. What a cool answer. I could see that actually. And um, I will absolutely, hopefully we'll be back in the theaters by then. Uh, so I'll absolutely plan to go see that one. Um, before I ask my last question, and it really is a practical one that you alluded to a little bit earlier, it's very interesting to me, um, again, the choice of words that were included in your intro, light-filled community. How is it that you, as someone who necessarily has to be willing to give so much of your light, in a sense, how do you not take that home and find yourself kind of in a dark place? How do, how do therapists actually revive 
and renew themselves because the realities of what they are dealing with sometimes, as you mentioned, can be pretty dark. Great question. Great question. Um, going back to what I was speaking about earlier, this, the work that we do, uh, cannot be faked in any way. It has to be true, right? It has to be a part of your God-given talent. It has to be a part of your passion and your drive. And so um, the, the sense of the light is something that I've always had my entire life. Again, it has to be authentic to me to do it. And so the work that I do is not, is not necessarily difficult, right? It, it, um, and when I mean difficult, it, it is a part of what I'm here to do, right? So it just naturally is something that I'm doing even outside of the therapy room. And I wanna be clear about have conversations with everyone, right? And so the light part is, is normal, it's natural. This is where I live in my space at all times. Um, in regards to my clients and their journey, um, that light is still there and I hold it there the entire time. Um, sometimes it, it may not feel as present for them um, in the moment, but it's always there. And they know that when they're ready to feel it, I have them, right? And so in um, the, the sessions when there is sadness and darkness, what I do for my clients is I just hold, hold it for them. I hold it for them in that moment. Um, and I walk them through. So I always tell them, whatever your pace is, I'm with you. If you want to run, I'm with you. If you want to jog, I'm with you. So let me know and we're walking it. We're walking together. Um, when we close out the session, um, I leave it there. Right? I hold it in the moment, but when we close it out, I leave it there. When we resume, I pick it right back up. Um, and so that's a way how I've been able to make sure that I'm not taking it with me. Um, some other ways, um, um, I do a lot of visualization work. And so when I'm done with the day, um, if I am showering, I am visualizing everything from that day washing off of me and going right down the drain, right? So I'm renewed, I am refreshed. Um, so I have learned how to do um, a pretty good job with just allowing it to be in that moment. And then another thing, um, I am also in supervision. So I, if it's heavy, I take it to supervision just like anyone else, right, that needs support and say, okay, walk me through this. Um, how, how do I work through this? Um, and then I'm also in therapy. So that always helps, right? Um, and so I have um, just certain activities that I do that I make to make sure that I continue to be that light. That's such a great note to end with, except for the making you a little uncomfortable, I promised. Um, oftentimes, we don't like to plug ourselves, but you mentioned your website um, earlier in the conversation. So if someone was interested in learning more about your practice or getting in contact with you, what's the best way for them to do so? Yes, so um, you can... Um, Email me at T, as in Tiffany, crowntherapy at gmail.com. Um, you can follow me on Instagram at crown.therapy.llc. You can reach out to me that way. Um, my website will be launched next week, so 
that information will be in the details um, of the video as well. Um, and then that will be another avenue where you can reach me. Awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Tiffany Anderson. Yep, I slapped the label back on there because you worked hard for that, but we appreciate you uh, just letting us get to know Tiffany a little bit better on this episode of High Tech Sunday. Really enjoyable exchange. Thank you so much. And we're going to hand it back over to Brandon Newby to send us on our way. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of High Tech Sunday. Career Communication Group's High Tech Sunday looks at professional development and technology through the lens of spiritual philosophies. In a time when digital information is more critical than ever, this weekly program is produced by and for CCG's community of alumni and professionals in science, technology, engineering, and math fields. The community runs from national thought leaders to aspiring students. And this weekly series aims to bring a concentrated discussion around technological advancements and achievements based on universal moral principles. The one-hour podcast will be streamed every Sunday. The podcast can be accessed through the Bayer Facebook page, Women of Color Facebook page, and CCG YouTube page. In addition to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Podbean, and Spotify. Please join us next time.